Morning, everybody. How y'all doing? It's settling up here. Yeah, I was getting excited hearing about what Pastor Ricky was talking about. I was like, go ahead, just keep talking. That was good. <laughs> that was good stuff. So hopefully, um, hopefully everybody had a really good uh, holiday season. Everything go well with everybody? Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, we had a good time too. It was a little different for us this year. We had a, uh, uh, we had a couple uh, son-in-laws this year. As you all know, we had a couple weddings last year. So we had uh, Alexa and Jake and then uh, Olivia and Keith this year. And then uh, we also got another blessing. Our youngest daughter, Helena, got engaged to Jax. So that'll be uh, three weddings in a year and a half. So you all can uh, be praying for us. <laughs> so as some of you on our softball team know who Jax is, We're, he's the one that's young enough. We put him out in the left field and let him chase after the balls that the older, the older guys can't get. So anyway, uh, but yeah, it's been a really blessed season. And uh, it was interesting, today as, as I uh, share some things with you, I really just wanted to have a conversation with you like we're just over a cup of coffee. Uh, over the holidays, you probably had a cup of coffee with friends and family, so I just want to kind of talk to you today uh, from that point of view. Um, I didn't bring any notes uh, in a standpoint for you to write things down, so I apologize about that. Uh, so hopefully you'll just be able to make some mental notes as we go through this. Um, but I really wanted just to see, as I'm going through this, just to think about some things I'm sharing with you uh, and see how they might relate to you and kind of take some nuggets away with that for you. And it's funny because right as the holiday season was hitting, I was prompted uh, to get into this certain section of the Bible, the, the, the book of uh, John on uh, chapter 9, on the man with um, uh, the blind man that he put mud on his eyes. And uh, it's just like one of those things where the Spirit just prompts you to get into something and you can't get out of it. Has that happened to many of you before? It's just like you feel like you're just stuck there. You're, something, there's something, you're just gravitating towards the scripture or the story or whatever, and it just keeps getting, uh, you get, keep getting more and more things revealed to you the more you spend with it. So uh, anyway, I want to go ahead and start with the first scripture. If you have a slide that we can send up, put up, it's uh, John 9, 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I get so excited about the very first sentence as he went along. Now, why I say that is that it's so powerful because the scriptures before that is where Jesus revealed himself to the Jews as being I am. And they tried to stone him at that point. And Jesus hid himself and then walked away from them. So this is the part the story's carrying on as he went along. I love our Jesus because he didn't let opposition stop him from carrying on the gospel. Think about how powerful that is. As he went along and he was sharing the gospel with people, I want you to realize because he continued to do that, he affected all of us. So it's a very powerful beginning to the scripture. We could have a whole, a whole series just on that alone. But I want to jump into the next part. He talks about where he had saw the man, the blind man. And I want to share with you real quick what the word saw meant. Because this was not a quick glance. A lot of times we just glance at something and think we saw it, but I want to give you the definition of the word saw. The Greek word is I do. I do. 
And it means to perceive, to notice, to discern, or to discover. To turn the eyes, the mind, the attention to anything. To ascertain what must be done with something. Jesus looked intently upon this man. This wasn't a quick glance. Something about this man caught his attention, that his eyes lingered on this man. And just a side note, we were praying earlier uh, before service today, and um, Kendra mentioned about our eyes and where, where are our eyes this year. I wanna let you know that where you let your eyes linger, your mind will follow. So especially for men who are very visual, watch where your eyes linger because your mind will follow that, good or bad. Now, as we go on, I want to talk about this man for a minute because it's so easy just to jump into the story and not really look about who this person was. This man, think about it. It says that the man was blind since birth. Well, how, how, how old was he? How long has he been suffering? We don't know that. We do know this. If, it's, if he's defined as a man in Jewish tradition, it was over 13 years of age. So at least for over 13 years, this man had suffered. And where and what was he doing? Where was he positioned at that Jesus saw him? And what exactly was he doing? And was he sitting or standing when Jesus saw him? And I believe he was actually sitting down. I'll share this with you in a minute too. I believe he was actually sitting down and begging because his neighbors will mention that as the story goes on. So here's this man who's maybe sitting there begging. Think about this. What type of self-image do you think this man had? Over 13 or more years he suffered. He's begging. How, how beat down do you think his self-image is? This man has probably gone through a lot of people looking down upon him. And maybe some of you have gone through people looking down upon you and your self-image might be down a little bit. It's okay, we're gonna share some stuff today that are gonna build you up. And, and I wanted to find out also, why did Jesus see this man and not another person? What was it about this man that caught his eye? Usually when there's beggars, there's a multitude of beggars. There's not just one. Why was it this man that caught his eyes? And here's what's interesting. He caught his attention so, so intently that his disciples noticed. Jesus' eyes lingered and he meditated on this man long enough that it attracted his disciples. Think about it. Have you ever driven in this area? I know we have more, more so down in Tampa. Driven by and just seen homeless people? How often have we just glanced at them? Or have you ever noticed that a certain one of those homeless people caught your eye and you thought about them for a little bit? And what was interesting to me, those, those, those homeless people, I saw several of them recently. And when I was putting this together, I, it made me just think about them even more and just the suffering that they go through. And it made me just as I pause and I'm looking at these individuals. You know, these are the individuals that Jesus ministered to a lot of the time. These are the ones that were following Jesus in his ministry. Now, what was interesting too, is that in the, in the conversation, when the disciples were noticing that Jesus was studying this man, their first question was why? Immediately they go to why. Why does this man, why was he born blind? And why is it that we always want to know why? 
Why do we always feel like we have to know the reason why everything's going on? See, in Jewish custom, though, the Jewish society, if you had something going on, such as this blindness or whatever you were dealing with, they attributed it to the fact that you must ascend or your parents sinned. So that's why the, the, the disciples went ahead and asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? But think about this man's position. If that's the Jewish custom, how many times do you think this man asked God why? Why, God? Why am I this way? What did I do? What did I do, God? And when he's thinking that, can you imagine the sense of guilt? If they were taught that they, they were this way because they had sinned and he had to carry that with him all of his life, that guilt, could you imagine that? Some of you in here might be carrying some of that guilt right now. You might be asking God why. Well, hopefully today you'll get that guilt released. And he also might have been asking, you know, why me? Why did this happen to me? What did my parents do that caused this? Because if it wasn't attributed to him, it could have been the parents' sin. Do you imagine how angry he might have been with his parents all of his life growing up? What type of relationship is that? And some of, me, some of you may be carrying some anger with your parents in here today. Hopefully you can let that go as we walk through this also. But think about it. How many times have you said why to God when something's gone on? When I went through my throat cancer treatments, I was asking God why. Why, God? What did I do? I didn't meet any of the criteria. Why, God? And finally, I got to a point where I stopped asking why. I stopped focusing on it, and instead, I started focusing on the how. What I mean by that is, how will God get the glory for this as I walk through it? How will God get the glory? And some of you may be going through worse things than what I've gone through, and you might be still questioning God why. And I really have to tell you, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer why I went through what I went through. Other than that's gonna be for the glory of God. And if you're going through something right now, I do want you to know that Jesus sees you. Jesus notices you, and we have his attention. Granted, a lot of you are saved here, and you have the Holy Spirit, but you really don't think Jesus is seeing you. And some of you might not be saved in here and or online listening to this message, and you think Jesus doesn't see you. Well, here's a little friendly tip. If you're hearing this message, Jesus sees you. I want you to realize how privileged we are that the creator of this world, the creator of this universe sees us. We have his attention. You have got to get excited about the fact that we have Jesus' attention. Sometimes I just don't realize, I don't think we realize how privileged we truly are. But however, sometimes, however, this answer to your why might be in the scriptures. It's for the works of God. Have you had ever had God bring you through something before? Did he not get the glory? And see, there's hope in knowing that what you're going through right now might be turned around for your good and God will get the glory. Pastor Ricky talked about the word hope. Hope is an earnest, intense expectation of something good. An earnest, intense expectation of something good. So if you can get your mind wrapped around that, that what you're going through will turn to your good for God's glory, it'll free you big time. So remember, we don't always have to know 
how things are going to work out. And, and I don't know how long you've been struggling with what it is you're struggling with. We don't know how long this gentleman had been struggling with his blindness. We know it was over for 13 years. But what was cool was hope was on the way. Hope was on the way. And hope was the name of Jesus. Jesus was on his way for this man. And we'll go ahead and look at the next scripture. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, uh, some other, um, this is the NIV version. There's other translations that, uh, where it says we, it says I, Jesus was saying I. But in this version, it says we. Here he's talking to the disciples. And realize when he's talking to the disciples, we're also his disciples, so we can walk into this conversation also. So let's first look at the word sent. Can you bring that, bring that slide? Great, thank you. Sent is defined as something is in motion or in the process of being transferred from one person or place to another. See, scent implies motion, and it, it implies movement. It's how the good news goes forward. It's how things are transferred from each other. And here's the thing, it's gotta happen soon because we're running out of time. See, Jesus had a sense of urgency. Jesus had a sense of urgency. Because he was sent, he moved with purpose. I wanna ask you, are we moving with purpose? Yes, we're very busy in what we do, but are we also keeping the purpose of sharing the gospel with people as a priority? Are we working ourselves around opportunities to share the word with people? Are we moving with a purpose? And see, Jesus' purpose was translated into action for the blind man. His purpose moved into action. And actually, Pastor Rickers mentioned the book of James. It'll talk about that also. Your faith with works. Well, watch this. So let's go into the next scripture, John 9, 6 through 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means scent. See, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. I really enjoy this part of the scripture. Because first of all, I'm, I'm picturing, why is he spitting in, in, the, in the dirt and making mud? I've not seen him do that before in any other scriptures. So I was looking for some commentary on that. And there's a few commentary. There's some points mentioning that the reason he did that is because man came from, came from the dirt, came from the earth, so that's when he, why he went ahead and used dirt to heal this man. I don't know if that's true. That's what one commentary said. Another said to show that there's no pattern to Jesus' healing. There's no certain pattern to the way Jesus healed, which would be, I could accept that one. I like this other one too. It could also be because it was on a Sabbath day. It was on a Sabbath day, and you're not supposed to do work on a Sabbath day. And I'll make this reasoning here in a minute as we go forward. But as we were talking about that gentleman, uh, he was probably sitting down and begging. And I could picture our Jesus, as loving and kind as he is, he went over and knelt down beside this man. And I could picture him going ahead and spitting into the ground, making the mud, and then applying it to this men's eyes gently. 
and then telling him to go. And here's one thing I wanna share with you. When we read scriptures, it seems like it happens so fast. We forget that there's people involved in this and it seems like it happens instantaneously. Sometimes miracles happen so fast when we're reading the word that it makes us question our faith. Why is it taking so long for us, God? Why is this happening? When's it gonna be for me? I also wanna talk about this man's first, br first brush with Jesus. He might not have known who Jesus was. He hadn't seen him before. And if Jesus was passing by, he might not have known who he was. He might have thought, who is this guy kneeling down here with me? And then, you know, obviously he can't see, but his other senses are heightened. He could hear the spit into the mud, into the ground. And then to feel it on his eyes, what's going through his mind? Think about you being a blind person and this man doing this to you. What's going through your mind at this point? Is it a little bizarre to you? And I also find it interesting, this man didn't go to Jesus. Jesus came to him. A lot of times you find where people go to Jesus. No, Jesus approached this man. Think about that. How many of us were really looking for Jesus when we found him? Or did he come looking for us? I know for me, I wasn't looking for Jesus at the time. He came found me. He came through a businessman who talked about Christ and then lived his example. And I thought, wow, this is something totally different. I can follow this. I wanna know more about this. Jesus sought me out. How many did he come find you? Many of you? Yeah, look at that. So let's go back to the story. When Jesus tells him to go, what I find interesting here, again, he wasn't healed immediately. He had to go by faith. And see, he was desperate enough to trust. He was desperate enough to trust. He had struggled for so many years in his life. He had nothing to lose. And I think sometimes you've got to get to that point of desperation where you have nothing to lose and you'll move by faith. And it's, it's usually also, when you're doing that, it's not gonna be making a whole lot of sense. Think about it, look through the man's eyes. Some dude just sat down and put mud on my eyes and now he's telling me to go wash? He doesn't even know who Jesus is to even take that authority. He just trusted him. But here's the thing, he had no choice. It got to the point where he had no cho choice. He had to go. And obviously he went, because we know the end of the story, but let's talk about this for a minute. What happened along the way? We so often just read, oh, so he says go, he goes, and he's healed. Let's talk about this journey for a minute. We don't know, first of all, how far was that pool from where this man was? How far did he have to walk? I couldn't find any commentary on the distance to the pool. And what do you think his thoughts were when he was going? Let me ask you, you've got mud on your eyes, you're blind and you're trying to find a pool, what's going through your mind? 
You think he might have stumbled along the way? Might have zigzagged a little bit trying to get to the end goal? And it's so like our Jesus, it reminds me just how God works. Think about this. Have you ever been sent somewhere and then you had obstacles that you couldn't see along the way? Sometimes you've been told to go and you don't know how to get there. You got the end goal, but you don't know how to get there. I was thinking about Owen, who's heading up the missions team here. He knows the end goal is the missions, but he doesn't know how to get there exactly. So he's gonna kind of stumble his way along to get to where he needs to go. And that's kind of how faith works. When you're sent sometimes, you might not know what you need to do to get there. And here's what's interesting. With this man, even though there were obstacles and maybe he had doubts, he continued to go, and because he did, he now has a story to tell. He has a story that it will impact others, you'll see in the rest, as we read the rest of the scripture, but his story impacted us also. And with that, I wanna tell you another story. So bear with me, I'm gonna just kinda of walk you through a story real quick. You see this little palm tree I have here, this little worn, tore palm tree. This thing's over 20 years old. It's seen some things in its life. And I wanted to share with you a story around this. So it was about 20 years ago or something like that that my wife and I had just had a, um, a feeling in our heart that we needed to move to Florida. We were being sent to Florida. We just felt like we, need, we wanted to go to Florida. God had put a desire in our heart to move to Florida. So we had some friends down here on the East Coast and I'd go and visit them often. And one time I was at the airport and I saw this palm tree. I said, you know, I'm gonna buy this palm tree so I can put it in front of her so she can see it all the time and just remember what we're called to do, what the, what the dream is, what we like to get accomplished. Has anybody ever set a picture of a goal up or something like that that you've had? Yeah. Well, let me share this with you. We had this thing for 20 some years, over 20 years. So what happened at this point? Uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, so we, had, we had, had the palm tree. And things weren't working out like we were really expecting them to happen. Like, so we got the palm tree, we got our goal. We thought it happened real quick, like within a months, a year or two, something like that. Anybody ever felt like that with their goal? Yeah, you're doing, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Why is it not happening right away? Things weren't going on the way we thought they would go. And then Michelle had uh, mentioned to me one time that you know, she'd been praying over this, about where we should be going, when we're going, God. And she was going through some jewelry and happened to find something my mother had given her years before, and she was unwrapping this little item, and it opened it up, and here it was a charm. And it was a charm in the shape of Florida, and it was highlighted Tampa on that charm. Because we didn't even really know where we were gonna go, but we knew we were gonna go to Florida. So anyway, so she had that charm. So there was another thing God gave her to hold her heart, to hold her mind on. And then through the course of time, some things changed in my job situation where I got moved from uh, being in a primary care arena into a specialty arena that put me around different managers. And I was able to let them know that one of the things we wanted to do one day was to move to Florida. Well, nothing was really happening at that time. I was up in West Virginia working and nothing had really changed. So a few more years went by. And then a new regional manager came along. And this regional manager, I also told her what I wanted. What we wanted to do, we wanted to move down to Florida if an opportunity popped up. Well, then around October of uh, 2012, out of the blue, some things had changed. 
So what was going on at that point is that I had moved into a new specialty role, was learning some of the geography, had started to do well. God was blessing me, giving me success, just as this new regional manager came on board. And then some things changed in October of that year where a contract we had with another company was expiring, so there were opportunities to move. My regional manager knew that I wanted to move, so she approached me about moving down to Florida. So, hey, opportunity, here it is what we've been praying for. So I said, fine, I'll interview for it. Now, here's how, how cool it is, how God works. So I had to fly down to Florida, I mean, sorry, to Atlanta for an interview, and I'm supposed to interview with all these different people just to see if I would qualify for this position. Well, here's how cool God is and how he moves behind the scenes. Years before, one of the trainers who trained me happened to move in a different role. She interviewed me. She knew me. It was just sitting down, kind of catching up. The, uh, the, the regional for the Florida area who was supposed to interview me got sick. So the regional who I just picked up within that year came down to interview me. She already knew me, so we just caught up with each other. All I had to do was interview with one manager and we hit it off and things went well. So at that point, Michelle and I, uh, you know, well, I guess it was, that was in uh, late October, so it was in early December. We hadn't heard anything about the position yet. We were coming down, it was late November or early December, and we were flying down to uh, Florida to Sanibel to vacation, which we always love to do. And while we were down in Sanibel, I get a phone call. And I get a call from our regional manager and says, hey, we want to offer you a position in Florida, but we have a, 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 an issue here. Which one do you want? Do you want Orlando or St. Pete? And I was like, hey, I heard, I heard Orlando's hot. Tampa was on the charm. I said, I'll take St. Pete. So my, my whole life's decision, our family's direction was based on a real quick second phone call. I'll take St. Pete. Folks, we didn't even know what St. Pete was really looking like. I think we were here one time in our life. I had no idea what this area was. It, I was so naive to Florida. I had only seen the East Coast and palm trees. I thought that was all they had was palm trees. I had no idea. So we get back home. And now we've got to hurry up and figure out, okay, how are we going to move? Because they wanted to get me down here in January, and this is December. Now, we're, we homeschooled our kids. So we had to have a specific type of home to be in to go ahead and maintain uh, homeschooling. So we call my manager up and say, hey, listen, I can't find anything in the geography that, you, that would fit our needs. What can we do? And she said, there's a new development up in an area called Trinity. And Michelle's like, hey, Trinity, that's godly. Let's go. <laughs> that's supposed to be where we're supposed to go, Trinity. So that's how we ended up in Trinity, of all places. So you've seen how God's connecting things that we have no idea. We're stumbling through. We got the goal, but it's kind of going blind as we're walking through. Okay, so it gets even better. So now we've got to figure out a place to live. So Michelle starts calling on the phone different builders. And there's this one builder that we've been trying to get a hold of, and they're not answering so it comes up to almost the day before we got to fly down here, and Michelle goes ahead and calls one more time. This time, just before she gets ready to hang up, the guy answers the phone. So Michelle's chatting with a gentleman. Turns out he was on a missions trip. That's why he wasn't there. His family's a family of Christian home builders. So we set up an appointment, we flew down here, and we had some, we had some goals uh, for when we got down here. There was three things we needed to do. I needed a place to live, I needed a church, and, 
uh, well, I needed a place for me to stay till the house was built, uh, and we needed a home, and we needed a church. So we had a mission for three things we wanted to find. So we get down here, and you know, we're a little tired. It's, it was been a quick trip, turn around, and uh, here, here's naive, how naive I was to Florida. I thought it was always warm down here. I didn't know in December that you'd wear sweaters. So I come down with shorts and t-shirts because this is, this is just how sharp I was. I was real, real well prepared. So we get down here. So we're, we're, we're trying to find if this is the home builder we want or not. So we're interviewing some different home builders. So we're trying to make a final decision. So we think we're finally gonna go with this one builder. We looked at a lot of stuff. We were exhausted emotionally. Just, there was a lot going on. So we're thinking about this one home builder. So we decide, okay, we'll probably talk to them on Sunday afternoon. Let's go ahead and check this church out. Now, where we're moving from was a big church that we enjoyed. We loved the church that we were part of. Just really enjoyed it. It was like the church where like the uh, newsboys and casting crowns and all those types of bands would come through. So it was a cool church. So we get down here and we're like, we got to find a church. We found a church in the area that was a larger church that we thought might be the church we were supposed to go to. So we go check this church out, and we found out this is not the church that we want. We just did not connect with it. Great church, it just wasn't for us. And we are exhausted. Michelle's crying. I think I'm snotting a little bit too. I mean, there's a whole bunch of emotions going on right at this point. And we really didn't like how the youth group was set up for our kids because we're really big on the youth group. We wanted to make sure the kids got into youth group. So we're like, what are we going to do? She's tearing up. I'm not doing well. And I'm like, look, we're just going to quit. I'm not going to take this job. If we can't find a church, get our kids involved, it's not worth it. And we happen to see a couple just walking into the church as I'm sitting in the car. I get out. I run over to them. And I know I probably freak them out, some psycho guys running over to somebody going to church. And I say, hey, listen, is this the only church around the area that's this size? And like, oh, no, there's another one, but it's kind of far away. I'm like, well, what's the name of it? So they give me the name of the church. So I go back into the car and get with Michelle. We pull it up on the iPad. It's 11 miles away. So some people think 11 miles is far. We were driving 40-some minutes up in West Virginia to get to our church. So to us, we're laughing, no big deal. So we jump in the car. We head down the Sun Coast, and we never heard of anything called tolls. So we're freaking out at the toll booth because we don't know you can run the toll booth. We're just sitting there like as she's rummaging through her purse to try to find money, which I don't, I don't know if we ever found the money or not to throw in there. We just took off or whatever happened. So anyway, we, we got to the church. Well, here what happened, this is a big campus, this church, and here's what happened. Church had already started. And there were some issues that, with a shooting at a school in another part of the U.S. So they had some security and some lockdown things going on at the church, especially around the youth. So I went up to the door to the youth ministry to go inside, and it was locked. And man, we were stressed. And I knew I had to make a decision right now this weekend. So I start rattling this door. I'm literally shaking this door. Now think about how bizarre that's got to be. Some guy banging on your church door to get in. I mean, that's like, hey, this dude, this dude needs saved. We need to get him in here quick. So I'm out here just rattling on this door. And some gentle young lady comes and opens the door and says, can I help you? And I'm explaining to her desperately what we need to do, what we're here for. She says, well, fine. Come on. I'll walk you through. So she takes us through everything. And uh, she says, where are you moving from? And I said, from West Virginia. And she says, where in West Virginia? I said, a small town you never heard of. it. She says, well, let me know. I said, from a little town called Morgantown, West Virginia. She goes, I know it well. I said, well, how do you know it? My brother plays basketball at the university there. I knew her brother. Now, I don't know him personally. I knew who he was. And I'm like, no, what are the odds 
of 2.2 million people in this area, that's the girl that opens the door for us to come to this church. And we hear, the, we hear the sermon and all that, so we think, okay, this is our church, so we're locked in. We go ahead and meet with the builders, we, decide on, we sign on our home, we got that taken care of, we go ahead and got our church taken care of, and then we're getting with dinner, dinner with friends that night, because I still need a place to live. So we go have dinner with them. As we're having a conversation, we're telling them the situation that went on, and they said, hey, I, we got a room you can rent. We'll just rent your room a week until you can go ahead and get in your house. Because I was coming down on my own initially. It's like, fantastic. Mission accomplished. Three things God did for us that weekend. We found our church, found our home, and found a place for me to stay. Now, how cool was that? Is that awesome? But wait, there's more. There's always icing on the cake that God does. When I, one of the things that was going on, though, that week that Michelle was calling to find, um, to find uh, builders down here for us, I happened to be watching a minister on TV that week, and he was talking about the favor of God. I thought, man, this is awesome. I went ahead and ordered his book. I thought, I'm going to read this book. This is perfect for us right now. So anyway, Michelle and I are flying out Monday morning, and I go to get a cup of coffee at the, at the uh, Tampa Bay Airport Starbucks. And I happened to hear a voice behind me, a little bit further in some booths, and I'm thinking, I know that voice. And I'm peeking over, and I see the back of this guy's head, and I said, I know that head. So I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and walk away. So I just kind of walk, and I don't want to be some weirdo and just like walk up to somebody. So I walked past him instead, and then turned around and came back up this way so I could see who this person was. And I said, I know you. You're such and such. I just ordered your book. Here was the minister who's from Texas, happened to be flying in that weekend to, to, to speak in Tampa, and that's who we ran into at the airport. So I got my wife. I said, if you don't mind here, wait a minute, let me get my wife. And he's looking at me like I'm some weirdo. So the theme of this story is Don's some weirdo. <laughs> anyway, so, so I told him, just stay here and wait, because I got to get a picture with you and my wife, and nobody's going to believe us. So I go get my wife, and I make him stand here and take a picture with us, and he prays over us about the favor of God, and he loved hearing our story. So that's how we got that taken care of. So then we get home, we have to figure out, okay, how are we going to sell our house now? How are we going to sell this house? i got to move quick. How are we going to do this thing? So I happened to be going through some physical therapy at the time, and we lived, oh, goodness, at least 20, 30 minutes outside of Morgantown in the country. So not too many people live out that way. So I happened to be in physical therapy, and they wanted me to set up another appointment. I said, I can't. I'm moving. I'm heading out of the area. And they said, where are you moving to? And I explained to them. And I said, and this is how the Holy Spirit prompts things. I just happened to blurt out to her, hey, if you happen to know anybody that's looking to buy a house out in this area, we're selling our home. And she says, I think I might know somebody. Gave her my number. They called us. They checked the house out. They wanted the house. We didn't even have to list our house. We sold our house over a cup of coffee at a McDonald's going over a contract. The guy signed it. Michelle didn't even know it was done. And we're out of here. <laughs> house done. Now, how cool is that? Is that not awesome how God works? And I know you all got some better stories than that probably. And I'm gonna share this with you. A few of you in here, probably a lot of you are like digging that story. But there might be some people online that are gonna hear this a little more skeptical. Oh, that's luck. That's coincidence. That doesn't mean God moved. You know what, I'll give you maybe one of those as, as luck. Maybe two of those is luck. Potentially a third one could be luck. But when you get five of those and all that other stuff going on, come on, you've got to admit, there is a good God in heaven. So you need to take that skepticism and just drop that, and you need to really, really listen to what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So 
there with that said. Sorry, I got a little excited about that. The other part of this I didn't tell you is during that summer before I started interviewing, a scripture had came to my mind that I had been reading so much, and I put it down in my refrigerator. Can you bring up the scripture, Romans 10, 14 through 15? Okay. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'd read that every morning. And I'd think to God, and I would just say, God, send me. Now, I wasn't thinking to Florida. I was just thinking to people who needed to hear the gospel I could just share the word with. That's what I kept thinking. But the thing that I was hung up on was this part about being a preacher. How can they go without without a pre- somebody preaching. I'm thinking, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an eloquent speaker. As you all can notice up here, <laughs> I'm, I hope I'm even pronouncing the English language properly. I mean, I make, I, I make up words. I deal with doctors, and half the time they just look at me and laugh, and I just smile and nod my head, and we have a good time together because I don't pronounce half the words right. And I felt, you know, at the time, I didn't know enough about the Bible. How was I going to preach if I didn't know enough about the Bible? I didn't go to seminary. Maybe you're feeling the same way. Maybe you think you don't, you, you want to talk to people, but you feel like you don't know what to say or what to do. Can you go ahead and post up the next, uh, the next slide, please? I want to define to you the word preaching, because I looked this up, because I think this is a word that hangs, up, hangs people up. It's declaring God's truth in Jesus to the praise of his name. Declaring God's truth in Jesus to the praise of his name. You don't, it didn't say you had to be an eloquent speaker. It didn't say you had to know everything in the Bible. It just said you had to proclaim the truth and to praise his name. And see, here's the cool thing. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You just have to tell your story. You just have to share your story. And that's what this man did. As we wrap up, we're going to go ahead and continue on, I should say. As we continue on with the story, and I'm going to paraphrase this for time's sake. So this man, he, his blinds restored, his, his sight's restored. So he comes back and runs into his neighbors. Now some of his neighbors believe it, and some don't. When you got saved, when you had revelation, did some of your neighbors believe you and are excited for you, and did some doubt you? Absolutely. But here's the thing. When you have an encounter with Christ, you change. When you have an encounter with Christ, you change. And those people who are going to see it are going to notice it, and some are going to be skeptical and not, and there'll be those that see it and are attracted to it because you change. Your change affects a lot of people. And then from there, they've got to take them to the Pharisees because to prove a healing, they had to go to have the Pharisees go ahead and give their stamp of approval. Well, remember, we talked about it early on. This was the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees weren't too happy with Jesus anyway. And it's funny to me how religion gets in the way of relationship with Christ. Religion gets in the way of the relationship. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And this is nothing against any church. And again, it could have just been my experience. But I was raised Catholic. And I was taught you had to go to confession all the time. 
And I remember when I was younger, I had done something I wasn't supposed to do. Who knows what it was? I just remember how guilt-ridden I felt. I felt so guilty. That night I could not sleep because I had to go to confession the next day. I literally could not sleep. I was so burdened with guilt. So I ran into confession. As you can tell, I'm kind of, I get kind of intense at times. So I, I'm, I'm, I, could, I was like the first one at the door at church. I had to, get, I had to go to confession. So I go to confession and go ahead and meet with the priest. He tells me I'm supposed to say how many Hail Marys and our fathers are supposed to say. So I go out and I do my prayers and I start to feel a little bit better. But then I started thinking, wait a minute. What if he wanted, what if I should have said more Hail Marys than our fathers? Is there a flow chart he's got back there for the sin I committed? My mind started going, I was going, wait a minute, man, this guy, what happens if he was wrong? So I started getting guilty again. And I'm thinking, this ain't the way you're supposed to live with Christ, but that's what religion does. It will put burden and guilt on you. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to do to this guy. But what was interesting, some of the Pharisees actually believed him. Here again, when you have a radical, uh, when you have a, 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 I guess, inter- when you interact with Christ, something radical happens to you. People will change because you had an experience with Christ. And that wasn't good enough for the, for the Pharisees, so now they bring the guy's parents in. So these are the parents they bring in who's had this child who's now an adult, who's been blind all their life, who've, who have probably struggled with why and all these other things that they've had to deal with. If you have a handicapped needs child, think what you've gone through. And the first thing out, they, they start attacking them. They don't even get to experience the joy of their son being healed. They don't even get to experience the joy. Religion jumped on them right away. And they did nothing other than step back and say, hey, out of fear, they said, hey, he's old enough, let him stand for himself. Because they'd want to be kicked out of the church. That's how important that religion was to them. So they went ahead and said, hey, talk to him. So they stole their opportunity for joy. So anyway, they bring the guy back in and they try to pressure this man. And this is where I get real excited. Because when, when people try to pressure you about Christ, this dude bowed up. Read the story. He bowed up and he started challenging them. And see, something happens when you experience Christ, your confidence develops. Think, remember, this guy was a beggar, blind beggar with low self-image. How many times did those uh, Pharisees walk by him? Numerous. They never saw him. They might have glanced and moved on. But his, his, all of a sudden, because he had an experience with Christ, his self-image raised. See, when you start focusing on your experience with Christ, all of a sudden you forget your fears. You forget you might not be as knowledgeable in certain things. You might not know how to say certain things eloquently. But it doesn't matter because when you're excited about that experience, it comes out. And people will not take that from you. When they try, you bow up. He did it. He did it nicely, (laughs) strongly, but he did it. It It wasn't rude, but he bowed up. You just become bold when you have a testimony. And here's the thing I loved. He didn't know a whole lot about Jesus yet. He didn't even know how to tell them who Jesus was. But he knew what Jesus did. And a lot of you, some of the most excited people are the ones who get saved, who don't even know a whole lot about Jesus. You're out there talking to people because you're excited. 
You're not, you're not so bogged down in your head with I have to know everything. You're just out there telling your story. So let's move into this next part of the scripture, John 9, 25. He replied, and this is, this is the uh, man talking to the Pharisees. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, oh, I love this, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. That's all he needed to know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. He was so convicted. He was so convicted. And now he saw more than in one way. Yes, he had his physical sight, but now he's starting to get spiritual sight also. And I love that line because that's us. We were spiritually blind, but now we see. We've had an encounter with Christ. I don't know everything about him, but I've had an encounter, and now I see. And his conviction set them off. They were ticked. They were furious. They kicked them out. He didn't care about losing his position. He didn't care about whatever happened with the, with the, the Jewish church, the synagogue, whatever. They kicked him out. He cared about his interaction with Christ. And here's the thing. When they kicked him out, I want to go to the next scripture. This is interesting. John 9, 34. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I just want you to see the difference in the statement between the religious, self-righteous person and Jesus. Jesus never condemned this man. They're sitting there telling him that he's a sinner. What did Jesus say? Nobody sinned. It happened for the glory of God. They were so prideful. Jesus wasn't full of pride. Jesus was humble. He loved us. He loved that gentleman so much, he loved him enough to help him. And Jesus wouldn't abandon him either, as we'll see here in a minute. And it made me think of another story. And again, this could have, just my experience, nothing wrong against religions or anything of that nature, and it could be this individual I ran into. But I was in Pittsburgh having a cup of coffee one time, and there was a gentleman getting some cream and sugar for his coffee. I was getting it for mine. And, and I always talk to people and just try to strike a cup of conversation about Jesus. So I worked it into somehow I could mention Jesus. Well, here the guy turned out to be some, some Catholic thing and, and um, certain type, type of vision of it or whatever. And he was just telling me that uh, because I used to be a Catholic, uh, now that I'm not anymore, I can't go to heaven now. I go to a different place first. And I got bowed up with that dude because I'm like, first of all, that's not true. And you're not going to make me, you're not going to steal my joy. Now, I did it politely. But there again, the religion people, the religious people. And if you've run into some religious people out there, hey, we're not all that way, folks. You're welcome here. This is a place, we're not sitting here getting on you. This is a place about love. And, and you heard Pastor Ricky say, it's about the people. It's about Jesus in here. So here's something interesting too. After they kicked him out, what I found interesting is Jesus went looking for him. It says in John 9, 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus heard. Jesus heard because they were talking about him. 
When miracles happen, people talk about it. People are talking about you. When you've had an encounter with Christ, you're not the same. People are talking about you. And what I love about it is that Jesus went looking for this guy. He wouldn't allow him to be abandoned. Now, we have the Holy Spirit. He didn't at the time. But sometimes you might feel Jesus isn't looking for you and you've been abandoned. He's looking for you, folks. He's got his eyes on you. And it's interesting to me, this is the second time he went to the guy. This is the second time he approached. Jesus will keep coming. And folks, I want, you, I want you to hold on to this as a truth. Jesus is there for you and will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. And I want you to be confident in that. Now, with that said, I want to go ahead and bring the band up as I'm starting to wrap up here. So as they come up, uh, did you all get something out of this so far? Yeah? Good. Good. As long, again, I don't have notes for you to take home with you. As long as you got something to take home with you, that's what was important to me. But I do want to talk to you about something else. In the scripture, the man was told to go. The man was told to go. But what would have happened if he hadn't? What would have happened if he hadn't gone? What if he'd have talked himself out of it? At any step on, the, on that path to that pool, he could have talked himself out. He could have, he could have stumbled and fallen and not got back up and said, now this is, this is crazy. I can't believe in this, this isn't right. There's something wrong about this. There's no way I can be healed. If he didn't go, think about it. This guy's got mud on his eyes and he's walking around. This is bizarre. But if he didn't go, no miracle occurs. And if there's no miracle, there's now no story. The only thing left is a man standing in there with mud on his eyes. Then what would the rest of his life, what would the rest of his life have been like if he wouldn't have gone? None of his neighbors or Pharisees would have been influenced for Christ. We wouldn't have been influenced because there'd be no story. So let me share with you the rest of our story. And I'm gonna be totally transparent with you all. I always am. When all this movement happened for us to move down here, I started to panic. I freaked out. I was losing it. Because it was so much at one time. Think about this. Thankfully for the grace of God, we were able to be out of debt before we moved. I didn't want to move and take on a whole nother mortgage. My territory, I was doing really well in the territory I had developed. I didn't want to leave the opportunity that I had developed that I worked hard to get into a good position to be productive. We liked our church we were, we were attending. I was involved with the youth group. I really connected with the young men. We had family to live there. And I had never moved from the state of West Virginia before. I was in my 40s and never moved from the state. And the cost of moving was substantial. This wasn't a promotion. I was paying for it all out of pocket. You can only imagine that. And I'm also the kind of pers person that kind of likes to have things a little more stable, kind of like I 
you know, kind of can plan it out a little bit, kind of control a little bit. Does that sound like any of you? I smile at you because I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, this move really rocked me. There was just so many unknowns. I tried to back out. I tried to back out. Thank God for my wife, Michelle. I told her, I didn't, I'm not taking this job. And I'm, I'm crying at the time I'm telling her, I'm not taking this, it's too much. It's too big of a jump. And my little lovely lady over there, as many of you know, she jumped up in my face and she says, I won't let you be a Jonah. I won't let you be a Jonah. She said, what if, what if this is about, what if this is more about the girls than you? And she proved right because they've met their husbands down here. So when you hear how God moved for us, I want you to realize I was not comfortable at all. And here's the thing, you don't have to be comfortable either. You don't have to be comfortable. And matter of fact, it's probably gonna be super uncomfortable multiple, multiple times. However, if you don't go, nobody gets helped. If you don't go, people don't hear the word. If you don't go, you don't get the joy of helping somebody else. You're robbing yourself of the joy of helping somebody. And if you don't go, you don't have a story. You have no story to tell. Just be left like in the man with the mud on his eyes. For me, what excites me is, I thank God for Michelle, because we were sitting in the car today just talking about the number of women that she's helped that she has influenced since she's been here. She gets to be a part of their story. She has a story and she gets to be part of their story. If you don't go, you're not going to have a story. But if you do go, if you do go, benefits are enormous. Benefits are enormous. When you go and you tell your story, you're gonna have the joy of helping somebody else. And see, you're gonna become part of their story. You're gonna become part of their story. And what happens if their story is one that they tell to their children, who then in turn tell to their children? What impact and influence are you gonna have on generations just because you went and told your story? You don't know who you're gonna to touch. And what's been cool is now this little palm tree that we've had for all these years, it used to be the dream, chase the dream, keep the dream in front of us. Now it's become Goliath's armor and David's tent. When, Goliath, when David defeated Goliath, he took the armor and put it in the tent to remind him of what God did for him. Now every time we see this, we see what God did. It's tattered, torn, it's got coffee on it. It's been, out, it's been, it's been through it, but it's still there. Over 20 years, that thing's been there. You're going to have some armor to put in your tent if you go tell the stories. So with that, I'm going to just give you one challenge. Go. Go. You've been sent. Jesus said, we, we need to go do the works we're sent, and we need to do it while we can. There's a sense of urgency. So go. 
So with that said, I'm going to pray, and then I'll be bring up Pastor Ricky. <sighs> Father, thank you. Thank you for our time together, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for doing what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray in my heart, Lord, there's so many things in my heart right now, Lord, just one that we keep our eyes focused on you. And Lord, that we seek after you. And Lord, that we understand more and more. We'll never get to this point, but if we get further along, Lord, to understand your love for us, it's your love for us, what you did for us, how it impacts us, Lord. Allow it to continue to change us, Lord. Let us focus on that so we can go forward, Lord, and share your word with people. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.